And tonight what we're going to do is continue in going through Psalm 62. We're going to specifically talk about uh, what we call the joy of journaling. And the way we've been describing this is how can you personally get into the word for yourself and, and really just sort of chew on things and just digest the scripture for yourself. And sometimes this is the most essential part is to just get into the word, to slow down and really try to what the Bible refers to as meditate, which is basically slow and careful thought uh, about what you're looking at. So let's do it tonight, and it would help me if you've been very interactive on previous Wednesday evenings as we have looked at this, if you could uh, help me out with this. And so let's go over to uh, Psalm 62, and uh, we'll notice as we get into Psalm 62, we'll start in with verse 1 here in just a moment. Let's pray, shall we, and ask for the Lord's blessing on our time together. Father, I do pray that you would give us wisdom tonight and help us. We do long to search for you, and we're asking, Lord, that you would help us to see you clearly in the word of God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Notice here in Psalm 62, verse 1, as the psalmist begins and talks specifically about what it means for his soul, that is his inner being, to interact with God. And how would he describe that? He said, my soul waits upon God. Now, in this section of what we're doing on the joy of journaling, and I think you probably got one of those uh, blue sheets tonight. If you didn't get one, I can ask uh, maybe someone to step out and get copies of that for everybody. The Character of God uh, study sheet. If you need one, raise your hand and I'll ask someone to step out to the Welcome Center and get a copy of that. As you, as you look at this, what, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to specifically look for who is God in this passage. Who, who is God? And the way we talked about this is in searching for God here in Psalm 62, we can, we can ask the question, okay, who is God? And secondly, what does God do? Here's some of those forms. If you need one, raise your hand and uh, they'll get that to you. Who is God? And we would note right off the bat here in verse 1 when it says, from him comes, and watch the, watch the screen here, from him comes my salvation. Okay, What does that tell you about our God? It tells you that he is our savior. We could say he saves us. You could also use the expression here, he delivers us. And so as our deliverer, we would worship him. And this is really helpful because we know that as we, we think about our soul here waiting on the Lord, and, and what does it mean for the, our souls to wait upon the Lord? It means remembering who he is, that he is our savior. He is our deliverer. He is the one who saves us. And this is what we're referring to when we say, uh, what we're trying to do is meditate on the scripture tonight. So the psalmist begins by saying, truly, or this is according to reality, this is the truth. My soul waits upon God. From him comes my salvation. Now, would you help me out here on verse 2? What do you see about the Lord in verse 2? Tell me one, one characteristic of God about you see about him in verse 2. Who helped me out? He is my he is my rock, okay? So there, immediately, 
you know that he is speaking in somewhat of a metaphorical sense. And so the idea is he is my rock. You could say my uh, stability. You, you could say it that way. You get the idea. It's someone whom you can trust. There it is again. Same thing he brought out in verse 1. He is my savior. And you're going to see that many times here in Psalm 62. What else do you see about him? God is my I'm sorry? Defender. There we go. God is my defender, you could say. Uh, you may even have a translation that says he is my, my fortress, you could say. God is my fortress. God is my defender. Isn't this a great way to kind of think about the Lord? Now, I'm not really going into this. This is a future journal because I'm planning to come back to these very same ones that we've looked at. Psalm 43, we looked at the first night and then go back into Romans and and come back here. But just notice, if you will, just for a second, how the psalmist applies this, okay? How does does a psalmist take this and turn it into a reality? And just notice here what he's saying. He's saying, I shall not be greatly moved. I mean, that's, that's the way he's taking this knowledge about God and turning it into fellowship with God and saying, because he is my rock, because he is my fortress, I will not be greatly moved. And so that's a great way to kind of think about what he's saying there. I will not be greatly moved. This is the way that we can go through all kinds of trials. We can go through all kinds of difficulties. And boy, are they coming uh, hot and heavy here lately? I mean, just all kinds of questions about all sorts of things. And as far as inflation and prices and gas prices are going back up and, you know, it's like, wow, it's just like one thing after the other. Okay. How can I maintain my sanity? I mean, how can I maintain my stability? Well, the reason I'm not greatly moved is because God is my rock. God is my fortress. God is my defender. He is my savior. Now he takes this and begins to apply it. And I'll just kind of point out the contrast that's being made here between I shall not be greatly moved, he's saying, and here's what he's saying about those who imagine mischief. He's referring here to to wicked people. He said, you're like a you're like a bowing wall. You get the idea there? A wall that it's not straight, it's not plumb, it's kind of it's kind of bowing, you know, going out that way. In our house, we had uh, our house was constructed with what's known as a as a bow window instead of a bay window. A bay window is basically straight, like a big big glass window. Ours was a bow window, which had sort of a kind of a curve to it. It's a really interesting design. They put it in. The only problem with those is they are notorious. After several years, they start to leak and it starts to rot the wood. Uh, this was three summers ago, I think it was. I think it was three summers ago. We were trying to put the money together, want to do everything for cash, didn't want to have to uh, go into debt to do this. I killed 63 yellow jackets in my living room that summer. Why? Because of this bowing, bowing window, this bowing wall that, praise God, we finally got it ultimately replaced. What he's saying here is that those who do not trust the Lord, they really are like a tottering fence. What a, what a great illustration. I mean, you kind of get the idea that the wall is sort of shaky uh, that way. We're searching here for God, so let's press on to see what, what, he, what they say about him. These who are like 
the wicked who are like a bowing wall or like a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him, people, down from his excellency. Maybe he's referring to the Lord as well. They delight in lies. So in strong contrast to that, we're seeing here's the nature of our God. He is our rock. He is our salvation. He is our defender. He is the one in whom we can trust. And so what does the psalmist say? Well, we love this verse around here. We've used it on many, many mission trips. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Anybody have a different translation than the King James? What's, a, what's another word you can put there instead of expectation? Hope. My hope. My hope is from him. So when you say my expectation, here you could say God is my hope. And when you say hope now, what, what do we mean by hope in the scripture? It's not uh, well, I hope so, as if, it's in, as if it were indefinite. No, this is the idea of I have a confident expectation. God is my confident expectation. That's the reason I can wait on him. And we saw it's the very same thing we saw back in verse 1. My soul waits upon God, up in verse 1. We're seeing here in verse 5, my soul, again, speaking to his inner being, wait only upon God, why? For my expectation, my, my hope is in him. God is my hope. And so in addition to my rock and my fortress and my savior. And then what does he do? Isn't this interesting? He comes right back and says, you may be asking, why is that again? Why is it that God is my confident expectation? And here he goes again. And this is poetry, but he's saying here, God is my rock. You say, well, why does he repeat it? Well, it's sort of like the question of why do we repeat the chorus of a well-loved hymn? You know, why do we come back and sing the same words over and over again? That's exactly what they were doing in the Psalms there. They were going back and repetition's the key to, key to learning, uh, we could say, reminding ourselves. One of the greatest problems in the Christian life is forgetting. He is my rock. He is my salvation, my savior. He is my defense. Same comment, I shall not be moved. So here you begin to realize this really does read like a chorus. It's like he's coming back and saying, okay, I've I've gone through another stanza, so I'm going to go back and talk about that. In God is my salvation. Now you help me out here after salvation. What else do you see about the Lord? He is my what? He is my, this is in verse 7. He is my glory. This one gets really interesting because here's what you could do. You go over to Proverbs, and in Proverbs, it's, it makes this comment. It is not good to eat too much honey. Everybody agree with that, by the way? If you eat too much honey, what, what happens? Well, you start to feel kind of sicky, icky, right? I mean, just don't. Do, everybody learns, you know, don't eat too much honey. But then what Proverbs does is really interesting. It takes you from what you do know to what you don't know. And that's what really helps us a lot of times about Proverbs is kind of launching into the unknown that otherwise we might say, I'm kind of mixed up on this, that it helps us. And here's what it says. It says, it is not good for man to eat much honey. So for a man to seek after his own glory is not glory. So for a man to seek after his own glory is not glory. Now, we just went through a period of probably 30 years or so where the whole talk was about 
self-esteem, self-respect, self-love. In essence, what that was a pursuit of was seeking after my own glory. Teaching a person, seek after your own glory. That is, if you will uh, accomplish more than the next person, then you you will think well of yourself. You will compare well, and and you will be you'll you'll just be filled with feelings of satisfaction, gratification that you'll you'll really it, it will really work out for you. Well, what was the problem with that? It never worked. It absolutely never worked. Why didn't it work? Go to Ecclesiastes, and you find out the flesh is never satisfied. That's why. I mean, the flesh is never satisfied. Always wants more. And here was, here all along, Proverbs was saying, hey, just like if you eat too much honey, you're going to feel sicky, icky. If you try to go out and build your self-esteem, build your self-concept, do all the things that modern psychology and psychiatry try to teach you how to do, it's, you're going to get that sicky, icky feeling, but it's not because you ate too much honey. So by contrast, when we say the Lord is my glory, one of the ways to think about that is that God is unique, right? There is none like him. There is no one like him. Even his son, we often quote in the scriptures, his only begotten son. What we mean by that, using the, the Greek word, his one and only, monogenes in Greek, the, he is the one and only unique son of God. We are all adopted sons, right? John one twelve. as many as received him, them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But Jesus is the one unique, he is the only natural son. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One of the things this is identifying here is God's uniqueness. And if you think of it this way, um, could you be 100% passionate about your own glory? 100% passionate about your own self-esteem, your own self-respect. You say, well, you just gave us the answer there from Proverbs a moment ago. I did that on purpose because you realize, and, and you can read biographies about this, about people who thought, I'm just going to live for myself and I'm going to exalt myself, only to realize it was a very empty exercise after a while. The uh, very, a very well-known opera singer uh, that was talking about this, who came to know the Lord, said, oh, when I was standing out on stage and everybody was applauding, it was like, yes, okay, here I am. You know, I've performed. Everybody says, that. and he said, as soon as the applause ended, he said, I felt empty. That's a really, really good reminder. People who go to enormous effort to get all kind of riches and everything else like that, what do they find out at the end? Well, it's like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's just emptiness. So, when he says here, he is my salvation, he is my glory, this is one of the reasons that we're able just to be passionate because we know this, it's not about us. It's not about our glory. It's ultimately about his glory and honoring him. And so he is the unique one. He is our glorious one. He is my rock, but there's something else there. He is my, we could say he is my strength, right? God is my strength. He is my rock my strength. And then look, there's one more. And this is all in one verse. This is really interesting. What else is he here? He is my, verse seven, he's my refuge. God is my refuge. In other words, 
I can run into the fortress. He is my, he is my place of refuge, we might say to ourselves. And so when you think about who the Lord is here, you're really looking at a biography of God. He is my savior, right? He is my glory, my uniqueness. He is my rock. He is my strength. Just think about uh, how you could take this and apply it. Now, let me me remind you. In fact, you might just want to turn over there for a moment to 2 Corinthians 3.18. If you don't know that verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with open face beholding as in a glass, he's referring to a mirror here, as in a mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord. We all with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I've shared this with you on a couple of other occasions, but when we talk about renewing our mind, I really believe that I could verify and show you that when he's talking about the renewing, he's talking about seeing God in the scriptures, not, not merely the scriptures. Look, it, it does renew your mind to say, oh, you know, just like you eat too much honey and you're going to feel sicky icky. So for a man to seek after his own glory is not glory. There is a sense in which that is renewing because you learn to think differently. Okay. That's really true. But I really think what passages such as second Corinthians three eighteen, sorry, second Corinthians, how about we do it this way? That would help me. Don't you wish life was like that? You can just go back and hit the button and say, no, let's do that over. Second Corinthians three eighteen. We all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. So it's very important that we go back and learn how to uh, see him. This verse is very helpful when it says, so what would you do as a result of all these things? Since, since these things are true, since he is your salvation and your glory and your strength, your strength, your rock, your refuge, what would you do? You would trust in him. That's really, really crucial. And how often would you trust in him? At all times. And who's he talking to? He says, ye people, and here it may be more than just the people of Israel he's talking to. It's very likely by using the expression, he's talking like to everybody. And what would he say that we ought to do? Pour out our hearts before him. That's what we ought to do. If your heart is full of bitterness, he's saying, pour it out before the Lord. If your heart is full of lust, he's saying, pour it out before the Lord. If your heart is full of praise or thanksgiving or whatever it is that it's full of, this is the way we could apply it uh, in these days and as we uh, think through this. Why? Because God is our refuge. So as you can see, there's really this is a really interesting way to think through this. Now, I'm going to show you what to do with these here in just a moment. Uh, verse 9 is that classic verse, surely men of low degree are vanity, men of high degree are a lie. The illustration it's using here is of a, a balanced scale. You know how a balanced scale works. You put something in one side, you put something in the other side. And here's what he's saying. If you put all the men of low degree, their vanity, their emptiness, and all the men of high degree, they're a lie. So in this one over here, you have all the men of all time. For all practical purposes, he's saying here, men of high degree, men of low degree, if you laid them in the balance, they're altogether lighter than vanity. So there's nothing in in this, this container over here. All men are over here. And he's saying, look, the scale's going to go this way because this over here is is basically vanity. 
That's what's going to happen. So he says in verse 10, don't, don't trust in oppression. If you've been reading the news lately, you've been seeing the number of uh, break-ins, shoplifting, especially in some large cities where it's just basically uh, run, it's chaos, absolute chaos. There was uh, down in uh, Florida, Santa Rosa, Florida, is the next county over from where I grew up, a man from Chicago walked in with a shotgun and he said to the... Uh, he said to the man who owned the convenience store, I'm from Chicago. He walks in with a shotgun and the other man pulled out his gun and held it on him and said, we're not in Chicago. And the police came and said, we're not in Chicago and you're under arrest. So the, you have this going all over the place where people are trusting in oppression. They're trusting in robbery. Uh, he basically says, look, if your riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Why? God has spoken. Once, twice have I heard this, that power, so God is powerful, we would say, belongs to God. You say, what's going on with that verse? Why does he say, God has spoken once, twice have I heard it? It's sort of like in Proverbs where he says, these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to them. It's, it's a form of reduplication, and basically what he's saying is, I'm going to really emphasize this. Not only, God didn't just say it once, he said it twice. Power belongs unto God. So this is where you really get into the beauty of this, this passage. He says, unto thee, O Lord, help me out here. In verse 12, what do you see about the Lord in verse 12? He is, I'm sorry, okay, merciful, okay. God is merciful. Uh, you could say he, he owns things, you know, he is the owner. You could say it that way. This word mercy is that wonderful uh, Hebrew word that conveys so much about God's loving loyalty and the way that God uh, works. He says, for you render to every man according to his work. Now, there you have to think about what did God do? So, therefore, who is God? What would you say using that last phrase? God is judge. And you could say here, he is the, even the righteous judge. You could say, God is the righteous judge of all. Why? Because you're going from what he does here. He, he renders, we could take this word here, renders, he gives to every man according to his work. And therefore, God is the righteous judge. And this is what we ought to remember about him. So let's take what we learned there tonight and now go back and apply it. Now grab your little blue form that you have there. And notice, here's what you could do with this, okay? Now, we're going to go back over some of the same things we just talked about, okay? Verse 1, verse 2, we saw this. God is my Savior. Truly, my soul waits upon God. For him comes my salvation. So you could say, he is my Savior, my Deliverer. What else did we see? What else did we see? In verses 1 and 2, he is my so my salvation, you see it right there. He is my defender, my rock. Hey, I didn't even put salvation. Because I put salvation, I guess, earlier. He is my rock. God is my defender. And so when you're filling out your form there, here's, here's basically the goal. You say, yeah, why are you talking about writing it down in this form? So that later on you can have a tool for a quick review. As I said, did I say this last uh, Wednesday night? I have forms like this. From 40, I was thinking about the other night, it's actually 45 years ago. 45 years ago in my Christian walk, 
I can still take you back to forms. And did I mention my handwriting's changed a lot since then? I was really surprised. But uh, some of those are so precious to me. And it's been by going back and just reviewing that and thinking, oh, oh, I still remember, you know, what it was like to really take hold of that verse and let that verse take hold of me. That's a very helpful. How about, uh, I go past one there. Oh, yeah, okay, because there were other things going on there, verses 3 and 4. God is my hope, my confident expectation. My soul waits only upon God for my expectation is from him. What else do you see there in verses 5 and 6? He is my, okay, he, he is my rock. He is my salvation, my savior. He is my defender. All right there in, in one verse, and I'm sorry, two verses, verses 5 and 6. Okay, how about over in verse 7? God is my savior. He is my glory. And again, you can do the very same thing there. The God of my strength, my refuge. And so you can just see how this just naturally flows down when you approach it this way. And, and basically what you're doing is you, you go to a verse specifically looking for, for the Lord. Here's a, here's a great way to read your Bible. Before you say, pray and say, Lord, show me, show me your glory today. Remember Moses prayed that. Lord, show me your glory. Show me who you are. And that's exactly what he did in that situation. And that's what we, we can do as well. Okay, how about verse 8? Uh, help me out here in verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. What do you see? God is my God is my refuge. I mean, that's that's really interesting. Um, I didn't I didn't really talk about this when we went by it, but think about the first part of the verse there. Trust in him at all times, you people. Who do you trust in? Who do you trust in? Trust in him at all time, you people. Pour out your heart before him. To whom do you pour out your heart? <laughs> and a really good answer there is you would do that with a patient and compassionate friend. <laughs> Would you do it with uh, an impatient and hateful enemy? Most of us would not do that. We wouldn't pour out our hearts. But, but here's the Lord, and he is a faithful and compassionate friend. So we can say, you know what I want to do? I, I want to trust in him at all times. I want to pour out my heart before him, knowing full well that God is my refuge. What a great way to uh, think about the Lord. And there we saw it in verse 11. God is powerful. It belongs to the Lord. All power belongs to the Lord. How about in verse 12? God is merciful. He said, you render to every man according to his work. And as Zoe said a minute ago, here's the idea of God is the judge. God is the, the righteous judge of all. So by approaching it this way, it, we can really learn a lot about the Lord. And we can see his glory in a very unique way. So let me encourage you this evening, as you are looking for the Lord... It talks about in Romans chapter 10, don't, don't say it's a spiritual journey. Don't say, well, I have to ascend up into heaven or you know, seek him, go down into the depths. He says, no. He says, the, the word is near you, even in your mouth, the word which we preach, that the, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You can trust in the Lord and you can seek him. So I hope that you'll take what we're learning here about searching for God and use it in that way. Now, the next time that I come back for a section here, 
on this uh, be in a couple of weeks. We're going to go on from the character of God study, but I assure you that is foundational. That is the foundation of a whole lot of other things that I'm going to show you. But as I say, we will come back to some of these passages to learn how to apply them and actually to review them in a little different way. And I think it'll be uh, very helpful. Let's have a word of prayer together, shall we? And then divide up for our prayer groups. Lord, I do praise you tonight for the opportunity to come and to seek your face and to praise you and honor you. Now, Lord, please meet with us tonight and give us wisdom and understanding, even as we seek your face. Lord, we have much to pray about tonight. And we see the situation that Rob Clark is in and uh, what they're going through down there in Naples. And Lord, I don't know if they still have power, but we're just crying out to you that they would be able to get through this and be able to treat his surgery uh, area very well. Pray for Jan Milton as he recuperates from his surgery tonight. And Lord, we are crying out to you for Tim Hogue, his recent surgery, Bonnie Leskowitz, her upcoming surgery, and so many others, Lord, can write as he anticipates surgery very soon. How I pray that you would undertake for each of these and that you would uphold them by your grace. Father, we praise you for the opportunity to search after you this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.